So my wife and I are watching TV the other night and the hero of the show is in trouble. I mean, this is major trouble. Uh, he, he's, he's probably not gonna make it, okay? So the cameras freeze on the anxiety in his face as he turns and looks and realizes he's surrounded, the enemy's here, he's con- and they break to commercial, and I look at Jeannie and I say, he's gonna make it, he's in next week's show. How many times does life catch you like that? You find yourself outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and you don't think you're going to make it. In fact, no one around you thinks you're going to make it. Prayer is the only thing you have left. And when you pray and tell Jesus, I don't think I'm going to make it. You hear Jesus say to you, will you relax? You're in next week's show. At least that's what he was trying to tell the disciples on the day of the ascension. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word? Are you getting a clue about, about, this, about this sermon series We're in two or three weeks here. We're still in chapter one. After he said this, he was taken up to where they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly the two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus, the same Jesus who's been taken up to you from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. And they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And they arrived, went upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, John, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. the same way that your disciples looked at each other and wondered what to do next. We look at each other and wonder what we're gonna do next. You are aware of the news as we are about the pressures against your church, about how the church is in all of that. So we're counting on you, Jesus, in the same way you return to your disciples and the power of your spirit that you now and here in this place with this people will return in the power of your spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. They were scared out of their minds. Now, anytime we read a story, a passage of scripture, one of the things that we don't do is take the time to understand how we got here. 
Now just understand everything that has happened in the life of the disciples. Uh, it was not too long ago that they were in an upper room sharing the Lord's Supper. Jesus had been talking about his arrest. Jesus had been talking about his death, but there were always denials. Peter, someone, one of the disciples would say, surely not you, Jesus. Surely it's not going to work out that way for you. And it became really apparent in those moments after the, the Last Supper that this was indeed what was going to happen. Jesus had been arrested. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been placed in the tomb. And to their incredible amazement, Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now, try to understand what's happened to their understanding of the worldview, reality, truth, love, all of that stuff. They're now having to reframe in the light of resurrection. Death isn't death, not in the light of Easter. Life is very different now that we understand it in the light of Easter. They're trying to rethink all of this. Jesus comes to them and begins to teach them. And it's like old times. Jesus is pouring himself into the disciples for 40 days or so. And Jesus is teaching and he's with them. And now he's taken away from them. No, 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 no. You were taken away from us before. They arrested you. They, they, they crucified you. They took you away from us. Now we are trying to hold on to you. And Jesus slips from their grass into the heavens and disappears into the clouds. And now they're looking at each other and they don't go anywhere. It's so bad that God has to send two angels to tell them, not just one angel, two angels. You guys need to leave. Kind of like the end of the concert when they flash the lights. It's over. There's not going to be another encore. Now what do we do? They were scared out of their minds. Why? Because, well, the last time Jesus had left them, it hadn't gone well. Uh, one time he told them, go across the Lake of Galilee and I'll meet you on the other side. You remember what happened. They almost drowned. Jesus says, stay here at the bottom of the mountain. I'm going to go up to the top with three disciples and we're going to worship. I'll be back. Remember what happened? A man brings his son to the disciples and they can't heal the son. In fact, it gets so bad that they're arguing with the father. They're arguing with each other. They're arguing with the religious leaders are around. And, and Jesus comes down from the mountain from an incredible amount of worship into this argument with his disciples. See, Jesus, when you leave us, it just doesn't go well. And the last time he left them, when he was arrested, they scattered into the night. No one believed that he would come back. And now Jesus slips from them into the presence of the Father. And they're told to go wait. As far as they know, the story's over. Jesus has done what he came to do. Now Jesus is gone. Now the story's over. Now see, you and I read the story of Acts from Acts 28 backwards. 
we know what happened in Acts and we look back on it and we say, well, this is what happened. We don't understand that the disciples in Acts chapter one do not understand that there's Acts chapter two. They just have Acts chapter one. That's all they have. So when they're confused and scared, you kind of understand it. You know, one of the things I do when, when I read a passage and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to teach it to you, I try to get in the minds of the people who are in the story. Who's in the story? Who's there? What's going on? Uh, and so you kind of get with these guys and you understand that they wanted desperately to hold on to Jesus. How are you at this time going to restore your kingdom? Jesus slips away. You want to saddle up next to Peter and say, listen, Pete, it's okay. You're in the next chapter. John, it's okay. You're in the next chapter. Philip, you are not going to believe what happens in chapters eight and nine that you're part of. They don't know there's an Acts chapter two. They just think there's Acts chapter one. And you're reading Acts chapter one and you get hold of their anxiety and you want to tell them, guys, relax. There's a whole book behind you. You're just in chapter one. You're not going to believe what starts happening in chapter two and four on in. You're just in chapter one. There's a whole new book. Now you would think the disciples would get this. Why do I say that? Because when they preach, they tell Old Testament stories with a skill and understanding that hasn't been captured since. The story of Stephen, the sermon he preaches in chapter seven of Acts takes the entire Old Testament and breaks it down to explain the mission and the person and identity of Jesus. It is a brilliant sermon. It is a brilliant interpretation, all from the Old Testament. Peter, when he preaches, quotes from the Old Testament. Paul, when he preaches, breaks down the Old Testament. So you would think here in Acts chapter 1, they would understand all of the old stories of God, the stories that they knew, and would see them happening again in their own lives. You want to go to them and say, listen, haven't you heard of this before? Exodus chapter 5. Moses comes back to God. Okay, remember Moses is called, burning bush, go tell Pharaoh, to let my people go. <laughs> and there's big dramatic moment where Moses stands in front of Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, no. In fact, if they've got so much time that they want to go to church, I'm going to make them make bricks but I'm not going to give the straw to them. They're going to have to go cut their own straw, make the same amount of bricks. Does that feel familiar? 
if you've got time to go to church, why can't you work on Sunday? Huh? Why can't you travel on Sunday? Right? You've talked to Pharaoh before. You've got time. Why don't you go to church? If you've got time to go to church, you've got time to work. So make more bricks. Now the people are mad at Moses. Now they're mad at God. So Moses goes back to God and says, "Um, everybody hates me here. In fact, they don't like you much either. I don't know what we're going to do. I did what you told me to do. It didn't work. I think it's over. Chapter 6. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. God, it didn't turn out well. I, I think it's over. It's not over. I've got to write a whole new book. Elijah. How many of you have said, if I could have one miracle, just one miracle, if I could have fire come from heaven just one time, I'd be fine. I'd never ask Jesus for anything else ever again if I could just have one miracle. It wasn't enough for Elijah. You know, Elijah's story doesn't end with fire from coming from the mountain. Uh-uh. Jezebel tells him, the queen tells him, I'm going to find you. When I find you, I'm going to kill you just like you killed the prophets of Baal. Now, it's always bothered me. Why didn't she send a soldier to kill him? She sent a messenger to tell you, I'm going to kill you. That's hateful. When you, want to, you don't want to kill the guy right off, you want him to know he's going to die. And you're the one who's going to do it. So Elijah, great man of faith. Now, he just called fire from heaven. You would think he would say, bring it on. He runs. Not only does he run, Okay, this gets embarrassing for a great man of faith. He runs. He gets to a town. His servant is running with him. So he does the Old West thing. He splits up. You run one way, I'll run the other way. They can't follow us both. In other words, oh servant, maybe they'll follow you and kill you and not find me. Elijah hides in the wilderness. He tells God, I have been brave in preaching your message and now they want to kill me. Why don't you just kill me now? What does God say? Will you relax? I've got a couple of thousand people who haven't worshiped Baal. I'm getting ready to write a whole new story. They took Jesus down from the cross. He was dead. The Roman soldiers knew it. The religious leaders knew it. Jesus' friends knew it. We don't have any story where anybody did CPR on Jesus, trying to revive him, or where anybody treated his wounds we have a story where given the time that they had, they prepared him for a funeral. They went home until the next morning 
and came back to finish the funeral. I wanted to find out that Jesus was writing a whole new story. John, the Roman government, turns on the church and they send John to this island in Patmos. Rome's going to destroy the church and it's at Patmos where Jesus tells John, ah, I'm getting ready to write a whole new story. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? That when times get bad for us, and listen, if you're not there, hang on, you're gonna get there. Life gets all of us. Okay, my buddies in combat tell me there are no atheists in foxholes. Uh, that when you're in combat and you, the enemy's so close you can smell his breath, you'll promise Jesus anything and everything if he'll just get you home. You don't have to be in combat being a foxhole, do you? And so you bow your head and say, I don't know what to do. It's over. Have you thought about the arrogance of that statement? You are talking to the God who created time. Telling God there's no more time. You thought the new job was going to be the answer. And then the job fell through. You had sat down with a legal pad and thought about all the ways you were going to spend the new money that this new job was going to give you. Now, you're not going to sell the house. You're not moving. There's no job. There's no new job. you're beginning to think that there's no future. Maybe it's over. You misunderstood her. You thought you were in love. She thought you were just friends. Now you don't know what you're going to do with the engagement ring that you bought that you will never give her. It's over. You always feel like you're in the wrong place, the wrong time. In fact, you really feel like you're the wrong person. Maybe your birth was a mistake, you think. Maybe the world will be better off without you. 
Friends have been impossible to find, but bullies, hmm, bullies find you. Now you can't take it anymore. And you think it's over. It's not over. We got the whole book of Acts to go. It's not over. God's getting ready to write a whole new story. And you're in it. We're going to conclude this sermon with an extended period of prayer. Because there's a lot of you who, if you were honest, would tell me, I think it's over. You know, we say a lot of things in prayer. The one thing that we never, uh, never do in prayer, we're never honest in prayer. You ever notice that? You can have the worst day of your life, four flat tires, your car's towed, fired from your job, you go home and you kneel down next to your bed and you thank God for all the blessings of the day. As Travis mentioned a few minutes ago, you are in the safest place you can be. It's a safe place for you to lay your stuff out in this time of prayer. So we're going to give you these moments. Now, it's going to be longer than usual. I'm telling you that up front. Okay, because anytime we do quiet in a Baptist church, somebody's got to cough. Because <laughs> you can't stand quiet. All righty? So I'm going to give you these moments. And just like the disciples standing there on the Mount of the Ascension, be honest in your prayer now. And stay in that prayer long enough so you can hear Jesus say to you, it's not over. I'm getting ready to write a whole new book. And you're in it. Let's pray together.
I know you think it's over. I know you think that this time things are so messed up that there's nothing that can be done. I would think about it. All the great stories of God begin with somebody saying I was in a place where nothing else could be done. I was in a place where prayer was all I had left. That's where all the great stories begin. And God wants to write a great story for you. I know. You wanna stand up and shout at me and go, Mike, it's impossible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the resurrection is impossible. That's where we start. We start with impossible. That's where you start. Our counselors, our ministers are on their way to the Welcome Center right now. They wanna be waiting on you. They wanna hear your story, how you got to where you are. They want you to hear one more story. They want you to hear about the story of Jesus. How you don't have to stay where you are. It's not over. Jesus writing a whole new book and you're in it. Our Lord waits for you right where you are. Don't leave, I beg you. not knowing the story that's waiting on you. The Lord waits for you where you are. Church waits for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.